the book of Psalms, and tonight looking to Psalm 35. And the title that I've given tonight's lesson is Trusting God When Others Attack. Trusting God When Others Attack. And I, as I read the entirety of the psalm, I want you to carefully notice the violent raid that has come upon David and David's response to that raid. Be watchful of his outward circumstances and his inward confidence. Notice the number of times David mentions the hurtful things others are doing toward him and then notice how David acts and reacts to such things. Psalm 35, a psalm of David. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid for me their knit in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul." Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself into that very destruction, let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up, They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his brother. But in my adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together, yea, The abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. 
Judge me, O Lord my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Now, dividing the psalm into three simple points of consideration, the first obvious truth recorded in this psalm are the afflictions of David caused by other people. The afflictions of David caused by other people. In the 28 verses of the psalm, there are no less than 37 times that David makes reference to the persecuting acts of others. Did you notice the number of times the pronouns them, their, they, his, him, and themselves were mentioned? David in this psalm speaks of others striving against him, others fighting against him, persecuting him. He states that others are seeking after his soul to devise his hurt. Others are rewarding him evil for good, and they are rejoicing in his afflictions. At this particular moment of David's life, we find that he is a man who is suffering unjustly from the lies, false accusations, misrepresentations, insults, and verbal and physical persecutions of men. And such attacks, in turn, become a great affliction to his soul. The repetitive mentioning of these things teach us that what was being done toward David by others was something that was continually on his mind. These things were constantly weighing him down, and pressing on his heart. And many of us know something of this feeling that David is experiencing in the psalm. Most of us can think of a time or times in which someone has said something, someone has done something to hurt us, and it weighs upon us heavily. Though we try our best to keep from dwelling on such things, that troubled feeling of frustration and hurt remains, and it doesn't seem to go away. Those harmful words replay in our mind. The injurious deeds sometimes keep us up at night and tempt us to feel despondent. And this is what David is dealing with. He's dealing with affliction that has come by other people and specifically evil men who do not know God. And let me just say that this is an unfortunate reality of life that Christians will never escape. We live in a fallen world filled with fallen men. We live in a world filled with people who hate God, who despise Christians, 
who disregard the teaching of God's word. We live in a world in which the prince of the power of the air will do everything he can to discourage God's sheep. And this is what Paul alludes to in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says regarding this spiritual war, this spiritual battle that we are in, that you and I have need to put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, the attacks of the devil. And then in the next breath, Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The first thing he says after mentioning the wiles of the devil are other people. Inferring that attacks will come on other people. The devil uses other people to get under our skin. But we need to remember that the battle is not with men alone. Battle is spiritual in nature. We have an enemy who is as a roaring lion who is seeking about whom he may devour. So it's not people who are our problems ultimately. It's the battle we are in. It's the attacks that are coming from the evil one. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So reading Psalm 35 through that lens, we see David in a great spiritual battle, and we see him being hunted not merely by men, but by the devil himself. Satan hates this man who has a heart for God, David, who wants to do right. Satan is going to do everything he can to spoil David's testimony. If he can't get him one way, he's going to get him another way. If he can't use the persecuting acts of men in one direction, he's going to try another direction. And that's how the devil works. Just be mindful of it. When we rub shoulders with the lost world in our workplace, in the neighborhood, when we gather together with lost family members at family reunions, Thanksgiving, Christmas, And people rub you the wrong way and you become irritated and sometimes angry or frustrated. You need to know the reality of the war that we are in and how the enemy works. So the first truth highlighted in this psalm are David's troubles and David's troubles caused by others. The second truth highlighted in this psalm is David's response to his troubles. David's response to his troubles that are caused by men. And we find looking to the whole of this psalm that interwoven within the mentioning of David's problems shines forth David's firm faith that is in God. As David is confronted with problems that have come by others, we find that he at once turns to the Lord. In fact, the whole of this psalm is nothing but a prayer to God. So the question is asked, how does David specifically turn to the Lord in the midst of his problems? Well, notice it. He turns to the Lord first in prayer. This is a prayer to God. David is pouring out his heart, 
his soul to the one who is seeing all these things that have come across his path. David believes that the Lord is the good shepherd and the good shepherd is taking care of his sheep. So he comes to the throne of grace so that he can find help in his time of need. He doesn't turn to men. He doesn't turn to himself. He turns to the Lord in the midst of his trouble. And this is what we must do also when we face the verbal and physical attacks that come from other, we turn to the one who is our rock, the one who is our refuge, the one who can comfort us, the one who can give us wisdom and guidance in life. Men will fail us, but God never will. David turns to the Lord in prayer, and in prayer he submits himself to God and God's keeping. And let me remind you, that is what prayer is in its essence. Prayer is not just the repetition of words, the articulation of phrases. Prayer is the submission of the soul to God. We find that illustration in Christ. In the garden, as he pours himself out to God in prayer, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. This is David. He runs to the Lord. And in running to the Lord, He submits himself afresh and anew to God's keeping. In prayer, he asks God to fight for him. Notice verses 1 and 2 again. David says, Lord, please plead my cause. Plead my cause with them that strive with me. You, Lord, fight against them that fight against me. You see, he's not taking up the fight in his own hands and taking care of it himself. He goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know best. You fight for me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Now, David was a warrior. He could have taken hold of shield and buckler. He could have taken hold of sword. But he knows that God is far more able to take care of this situation better than he can. So he's coming to the Lord in prayer, asking God to fight for him. In prayer, he also rejoices in God. In prayer, he assures God that he will be faithful to him, whatever comes. Verse 9, David says, My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. In the midst of my problems, it shall rejoice in his salvation. Verse 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Verse 28, my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. In the midst of his problems, he's choosing to praise God when all the day long. Nothing's changing. As far as his relationship with God, his circumstances has changed, but his faith has not. Now, having noted the godly responses of David, I want us to take a moment to reflect upon how David could have responded, but didn't. This is equally important. We see how David responded. He runs to the Lord. He runs to the Lord in prayer. In prayer, he submits himself to God's keeping. In prayer, he's asking God to fight for him. In prayer, he's rejoicing in his salvation. He's rejoicing in the fact that God does not change. In prayer, he assures God that he is going to remain faithful, whatever comes his way. And then notice this. Notice how David did not respond to his problems, 
He could have, but he didn't. Notice first his inward attitude. When trials came his ways through the attacks of others, David did not take matters into his own hands. You're going to treat me that way? Fine. I'll take vengeance upon you twofold what you're treating me. David didn't become vengeful toward men, and he didn't become bitter toward God. Is this what I deserve, Lord, after striving to be faithful to you? Is this what I get after exercising faith for so many years? This is my paycheck. I'm done. I'm done being faithful. I'm done being zealous. I'm done being committed. That's not David's heart. He doesn't grow bitter toward God. He doesn't become resentful toward men. That's his inward attitude. And notice, second, his outward actions. In the midst of his problems, David could have said, You know, the circumstances of life are a little too much for me at this moment, so I need to take a break from seeking God. I need to stop praying to God, and I need to start complaining to men. I need to put my Bible aside, and I need to binge watch my favorite TV program. That's what I need to do. David did not say, you know, I'm really struggling, so I think the best thing for me to do is just to pull back from seeking God fervently and being faithful to the collective worship of God. You know, when things get back in order physically, financially, relationally, then I will do what God wants me to do. But until then, I think it's best if I just sit by myself at home and just try to get my mind together while I stare at my phone endlessly. I'm hitting on the common response most Christians have when trouble comes their way. Sadly, when trouble comes across the pathway of some Christians, they retreat. They let their circumstances slow them down. They become secluded. And they rely upon physical solutions to cure their spiritual problems. They trust in their own wisdom rather than trusting in the wisdom of God and what God has said in His Word. I hate to be so blunt, but such an attitude is wrong and such an attitude is idolatrous at its core. When you allow your problems to keep you from God... You are living as if your problems are God and God is not. When you tell yourself that you need to fix yourself before doing what God wants you to do, you are making yourself a God. We don't find this in David. When troubles enter into his life, he doesn't slow down. He doesn't pause from running the race of faith. He doesn't take a spiritual vacation. Nor does he enter into continual pity party mode. Now he complains, don't get me wrong. But he complains first and foremost to God in prayer. David pours out his heart and very honestly, we see his lack of faith. We see his frustrations, we see his anxieties. A lot of times in the first half of the Psalms, but in the second half of the Psalm, we find out he does not stay in that state of depression and despair. He takes that and turns it over to the Lord. 
He runs to the throne of grace. He submits himself to God. He continually praises the Lord and he looks forward to gathering with God's people. Verse 18. David doesn't allow the wrong things others are doing to keep him from what God wants him to do. He doesn't allow his circumstances to dictate his commitment to God. He doesn't allow his feelings to drive his decisions. David's not a fair-weather Christian. David is going to rejoice in God when everything is smooth sailing, and David is going to rejoice in God when stormy weather hits. Why did God put these psalms in Scripture? For our benefit, for our learning, for our admonition. David is a man of like passions as we are. And I would say David's circumstances are a lot more treacherous than circumstances we've ever faced. As I look over the congregation, I can't think of anyone that I know of that has physically run from a physical enemy into the wilderness being chased by swords and spears. I don't know. Unless you have some hidden testimony that I don't know of. So God put this psalm and these extreme circumstances in the scriptures to benefit us, to encourage us wherever we are. Our circumstances are far less than David. And we often say Job. And yet God is showing us that if one can persevere in those circumstances, surely one could persevere in our circumstances. So taking Psalm 35 as a whole, what do we find? We find, number one, David's problems. They're there. They're a reality. He's a man living in a sinful world. He's a man who has an enemy who's looking to destroy him. David has problems. You have problems. Let's just be honest tonight. You have inward problems and outward problems and problems you don't even know about. But we see his perseverance in the midst of the problems. He strives to praise God. He strives to serve God in the midst of his problems. Problems will always be, and so our steadfastness always needs to be. And then the third and final point I want us to recognize in this psalm is David's portrayal or David's Christ-like example, if you'd like. In the two points we've already considered from this psalm, we find that David is a type of Christ. The truths recorded in Psalm 35 are prophetic in nature. They point us to the one who knew what it was to do the will of God in the midst of suffering caused by people. Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, the one who has saved our soul, was hated ferociously by the wicked without a cause. The unbelieving world accused Jesus of blasphemy. They accused him of being possessed by the devil. Jesus went around doing good. He allowed the blind to see, the deaf to hear. The mute to speak, raise the dead. 
And yet he was harshly accused of dishonoring the law of God. If anyone knows what it means to suffer unjustly, it's Jesus. So we ask the question, how then did Jesus respond to the harmful things that were done to him by others? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When Jesus was disbelieved, when Jesus was falsely accused, hated, criticized, mocked, and crucified on the cross, Jesus did not take matters into his own hands. He submitted himself to the Father, the one who would judge all. And we remember Jesus could have. He had the power to call down fire from heaven upon his enemies. But he didn't. Instead, he poured out his soul to God in prayer. He persevered in doing the will of the Father. And he joyfully, Endured the pain. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the persecuting acts of others. This then would lead to the first century church joyfully going on their way, preaching Christ when Saul was causing havoc of the church. Joyfully knowing that what we face in this life is only temporal. Our Savior, the one who's died for our soul, has suffered immensely. And if He would suffer for us, what's a few days of suffering in this world for Him? So Peter reminds us in that same chapter, speaking of Christ's suffering, that we as believers ought to follow in His steps. David was following in Christ's steps even before Christ was born. So my concluding question to you this evening is, how are you following the steps of the Savior? And specifically, how are you following the steps of the Savior in dealing with the problems of life and specifically the problems of life caused by the hurtful words and deeds of others? You've been slighted this week. You've been disbelieved. You've been mocked at. You struggle to fall asleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. It's constantly on your mind. Are you allowing these things to break you or build you? Are you allowing it to pull you farther from God or to push you closer to God? These are the only two responses to our trials, to our problems. You can either grow bitter or you can grow better. But the choice is ultimately yours. Listen, others will attack. It's not a matter of if, but when, who, and in what ways. So when they come, my question is, how will you respond? I encourage you to be like David. I encourage you to be like Christ. 
and to trust in the care of your Father during times when men harm you.